This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Well, good morning. It's good to be here again, and it's good to uh, share with you this morning. And I count it a privilege to be able to share with you on a lovely day like this on Easter Sunday morning. When Paul wrote to me, um, I first, first of all thought it was an April Fool's, but it wasn't, or don't, it isn't anyway. But uh, I had a lovely uh, email from Paul and Francis yesterday, and no one else has shared their greetings, but he wanted to share their, Christ, their Christmas, their Easter greetings to you this morning, as he too, uh, they too are sharing together with a fellowship there in Uganda this morning. What does one speak about on an Easter Sunday morning? Well, lots of things, but naturally one is tended to be drawn to what today is all about because it is a special day. A lot of you didn't seem too excited in some of those songs that we were singing, particularly that last one with the kids. There were a few of them sort of jumping up and down, but about, well, three of you anyway. You know, today is, is a day when I would want you to shout, I'll be prepared to lose your Britishness. You know, not many hallelujahs to shout. You can say hallelujah now and again. Uh, or praise the Lord, if it's quietly, I don't mind whatsoever. But anyway, this morning, I've been drawn very much to this particular passage, and thank you for the reading from 1 Corinthians this morning, and a passage that is about what today is all about. Now, I'm sure that, uh, if you read the title, 
uh, actually remember, there's something to shout about, the first word I didn't put on there. But there's that remember, it comes up in the text that we looked at just now. And uh, this is the text that uh, we, we had there. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, some Christians. And he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And it's a memory thing that uh, is involved. And he said, I want to remind you of this. And all I'm doing this morning is to remind you of something you may know already. Be very clear about what it is. I don't know if you've got memory triggers. There may be all sorts of memory triggers you've got that just remind you of certain things, you know, ribbons or, or notes or post-its or photographs or rings. Tonight you'll be having a baptism here. You'll be having communion and you'll be taking bread and wine or bread and fruit juice, whichever it may be, because they are memory joggers. They remind you because Jesus said, every time you take this, remember. You know, I've got the excuse of getting old these days, but, um, you know, my memory is not always as good as it should be. Um, and Jesus knows that too. God knows that, that we sometimes forget. This passage is about a reminder. When Peter wrote his epistles as the small letters, and they're recorded at the latter end of the Bible, he also was doing the same sort of thing to the people there. He said this in, one, in 2 Peter 1. He said, now I know you know this, but I just want to remind you. And that's all I'm doing this morning. So if, if you forget everything else, remember this. I know you know it, but I just wanted to remind you of some of these things. And Paul says, well, what do I want to remind you of? I want to remind you of the gospel. Okay, we use that word quite freely. The good news, it's the heart of our faith. It's a hope of our salvation. And Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church back to basics, back to the, the core part of what they believed. Because if you know the, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he's talking about personalities. He's talking about divisions between them, arguments between them. He's talking, he's writing to them about gifts that they don't understand about. He writes about the ways they worship or don't worship. He's writing about confusion when they're mixing up with people who are sacrificing to other gods and so on, about discipline in the church. But you get towards the end of that particular letter, long letter they wrote, he says, I want you to get back to basics. Now, I know you know this, he says, but I just want to remind you about the gospel. In verse 3, if any of you follow along with me, by the way, I'm actually using the NIV, but if you've got your Bibles, it's always helpful just to check out what I'm saying is there. But in verse 3, he says, it's the first or the most it can be translated or can be translated the greatest importance. It's the number one priority, he says. And it's important that we get back to it. You know, sometimes we have these, um, I'm not sure what you call them, sayings or management mottos and so on. And this is one that uh, I, I like because it's quite relevant to also what we're talking about. And the most important thing is to make sure that the most important thing remains the most important thing. Do you get that? Quite straightforward, really. But so often, even in our Christian faith, in our churches, in our lives, we let other things pull us away. And Paul says, want the most important thing is to make sure that you, the most important thing remains the most important thing. And that is the gospel, he says. That's what it's all about. And he's talking about that and what the gospel is. And he says, look, a couple of things regarding it. I want you to stand firm and I want you to hold fast. In fact, almost one of the, the second to last verse that was read to us just now, it says, stand firm. You know, be sure. It's get a grip, guys. So I don't know you all here at Shirley, but forgive me. Get a grip, guys. Stand firm and hold fast. Have you ever played King of the Castle with the children? 
No, I'm so boring like you are, don't you? I'm sure you have. You stand for me, you get the kids trying to move you over and knock you over, yes? Trouble is get to a point where you have to run because they can. Or you stand in the waves. Have you been in the ocean and you stand there and the waves are coming, you just try and resist the waves as it's coming. You know, it's, it's a bit like that in life because uh, you can get knocked over by all sorts of waves and criticism and difficulties and troubles and doubts and hardships and it can divert you, it can knock you over. And Paul later on in the, the last chapter he says this, be on your guard, stand firm in the face, be men of courage, be strong. When God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7. He said this to the people, and I can say that to you and to me this morning. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So what is the gospel? What's he talking about? There are three things that he says in that, in that passage that is the core of the gospel. In verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. In verse 4, that Christ was buried. And in verse 4, that Christ rose again from the dead. Now that's a good pause for a hallelujah, but don't worry about it. We'll get you there by the end of the time together. And that is the core of what he's trying to say. It's a fundamental of the Christian faith. So I don't want you to be the people you're not. Don't worry about it. This is Easter. This is it. Now, I know that you know this, but I just want to remind you. It seems that some people in the Corinthian church had forgotten that. You see, it's a package deal. It's not a pick and mix. I won't take this bit, but I'll leave that behind. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. Paul said, when he wrote it in verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So some of them said, well, okay, uh, yeah, okay, I recognize that, that. The death, I'm familiar with death, because I can see it all around me. Yeah, I'm familiar with burials. I've been to all sorts of funeral services. But resurrection? Hmm, not sure about that third package. But Paul says it's the same as other elements in the Christian faith. It's not a pick and mix, it's all. So you cannot have the Jesus story without the Genesis story. You cannot have the person of Jesus without the Holy Spirit, or the person of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have Christ's teaching without Christ's miracles. You cannot have the love of God without the holiness of God. You cannot have the mercy of God without the judgment of God. You cannot, heaven, cannot have heaven without hell. You cannot have the tragedy of the cross without the triumph of the resurrection. Now, I know you know this, but I just wanted to remind you. And it's important for those of us here this morning that we actually remind ourselves that it's, it's, a, it's a package deal. It's all there. It's all or nothing. There were some young people. They went to a, uh, a, a nursing home, and there was this young child, and they were talking to this elderly person. I was going to say Evan Winter, but I didn't dare to say that. And uh, they were talking, and uh, the child said to the, the, the gentleman, they said, how old are you? He says, I'm 94. Whoa, did you start at one? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a starting point of our faith. That's what it is. These three things, the package, 
that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried, and Christ rose again from the dead. We've been singing about it already this morning. It's important that we start at one. And the danger is, says Paul, the further you move away from the anchor point, that first point, the primary point, the most important point, the weaker your faith is, the weaker your walk is. You lose, begin to lose touch with God, you lose touch with his story, you lose touch with character and his purposes. It does not compute. Now some of you are a little younger than I am, but I, I can remember something in school that's called algebra. Do you remember algebra? Um, now some of you get, yeah! Some of you oh, no, not algebra. But it's interesting. I didn't know that algebra means, so I'm told, a reunion of the broken parts. Did you know that? See, educational this morning, not only informational, educational. And it talks about e equations, you know, conditional equations. There's an if, and then there's a then. If this is true, then. Okay? You didn't think you were going to get maths teacher here this morning, did you? But you know, there are all sorts, you see, there's, it's in life. If you feed a baby curry, you'll get kickback. Is that true, parents? You know, if you follow any English sporting team, be prepared to weep. Okay? If you indulge in too many fast food places, then you'll probably bulge in too many body places. If you go outside naked in sub-zero temperatures, then you get what you deserve. If and then. So Paul uses this algebraic statement, the if and the then, conditional equation, to remind and underline what he is talking about. And he says several things about this. In the passage that we didn't have read, because it's a long chapter if you want to read it, it says, if there is no resurrection of the body, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So it brings it there in verse 13. If there is no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless our faith is useless. If Christ has not been raised, then Paul and the other disciples are liars. That's what he's saying. If Christ has not been raised, then there is no solution to evil and sin. If Christ has not been raised, then those who have died believing this gospel are lost. And there is no hope of life to come. If Christ has not been raised, then our hope is only for now, and we should be pitied. That's a tragic situation. If that is true, there is no resurrection of the dead, and Christ has not been raised, then we are the biggest April Fools ever. But you see... I've discovered, too, there's another word it relates to algebra or to equations and so forth. Um, it comes in in some sense. It's a, it's a coordinative conjunction. I had to look it up. Sorry, I'm not bright. Like, a, a, a 
coordinative or coordinating conjunction. Anyone know what that is? Impressive, isn't it? You probably will. You're clever lot over here, I know that. It's a word that brings together two parts. One side of the equation with the other, and it changes the conclusion. There's a pivotal word in this passage. Not that passage there, the one that comes just afterwards. Do you know, some of you, I know I've been before, some of you met my wife, uh, Bev. She's American. We're forgiven for that. If any Americans here, bless you. See, I'm bringing the, bright, the colonies back one at a time. Anyway, unfortunately she couldn't come today. She's playing in the worship group at, at our church. But I've been over there, going over there now for 40 plus years and I've had the privilege of preaching in the churches over there. But sometimes I forget that I'm in America and although we've got the same sort of language, they don't always have the same sort of words. And words that we use, they don't always understand. And even the way I pronounce them, they don't understand. I remember preaching over there one time and I was talking about a ship that was tied to the quay. And it took me a long time to realize they were thinking about a, a Yale lock. I was thinking about a dock. There was another occasion when I was talking about being, you know, I was reading the scripture and talking about being a party in heaven. And they were looking very puzzled. I said, what's the problem? They thought I was saying a potty in heaven. It's just the way I speak, you know. And there's a story told about a British preacher that went to America and he shocked his congregation by saying this morning, I'd like to preach about the big butts in the Bible. If you know America, you don't say big butts in the, okay. But in the scripture that we've got, or Paul writes down, there is a big but. And that's where it comes to the next verse. He said, having read all the ifs and thens, but, and that links them together, he's had the arguments, if this is true, then this is the results. He said, but, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that's important. Without that but, we can go home. Without what follows, this is useless. And I'm standing here just spouting words and, and using up energy unnecessarily. It's so important. That's why we can shout about it today, or could shout about it. That's why we should sing about it. Without it, there's no evidence, there's no certainty, there's no validation of Christ's words, no hope of the future. We might as well go home, says Paul. Your faith is futile. Let's go home and have lunch now, shall we? But, says Paul, Christ has indeed been raised. And I'll say hallelujah. I'll pray praise the Lord. Because it's a fantastic truth. And it's on that that we base our faith this morning. You see, without that, we're lost. Without that, we're in a prison that's got no exit, no door. Without that, we're doing a puzzle that's got no solution. Without that, we're on a road that has no destination. But we have Christ. You see, some thought that Jesus had finished. Even his disciples did but he wasn't. Some thought he was dead, but he wasn't. Some thought salvation was about their efforts, but it wasn't. Some thought death was the end, but it isn't. The cross alone is inconclusive. The empty cave completes the task. Hmm. Now, I know that you know this, but I just wanted to remind you You know what this means? Like algebra, it unites the broken parts together. You know what that says? That Jesus is who he claimed to be. That he can do 
what he claimed he could do. That he is awesome. That he is amazing. That he is the Son of God. That he's alive today. It also reminds us that sin we could not eradicate, he came to remove. The relationship we'd lost, he came to restore. The punishment that we deserve, he came to take. A cost that we could not afford, he came to pay. An enemy we could not defeat, he came to destroy. A wall we couldn't scale, he came to break down. Forgiveness we did not deserve, he came to give. A door beyond death we could not unlock, he came to break down. This is the gospel. Hallelujah. And Paul says that's the priority. That's the first of first importance. It's of the greatest importance. It's of the most importance. Number one, Christ died for our sins. Number two, Christ was buried. Number three, Christ was raised from the dead. I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know who you are. Maybe you've come because it is Easter Sunday. Maybe you've come because your parents brought you or your, your partner brought you or your children brought you. Maybe you thought it was a good thing to do. I don't know why you're here, but I want to tell you something. You can know the risen Savior. We had the story told to us with the, for the children earlier on, but we were all listening in. This full story that, that at the end is saying how that we can have Jesus in our hearts. Maybe you know the story. I just want to perhaps give you some A, B, C, D, E, F this morning. If you are not in the family of God, if you do not know Jesus personally, this is a very simple thing. A simply is acknowledge. You acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you have done wrong. You accept that fact. B, you believe that Jesus Christ came to take that sin on himself and to bear the punishment and the penalty of that sin. C, you call upon him. You commit yourself to him. And you ask for his forgiveness. D, you do it now. You don't delay. And I say that because in the past, sometimes I've said to people, Go away and think about it. <laughs> it's a dangerous scene to go away and think about it. You may not have another time to think about it. Do it now. And declare it. Tell somebody else after the service. What can I say about E? <laughs> well, it equals. A, B, C, D equals what? Faith. Forgiveness. It equals a future. And it's something Fantastic. I like the alliteration you get now. <laughs> I plead with you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your friend and saviour, you know all about him, you'd like looking through a window and say, I can see all these things. A, B, C, D equals faith, future, forgiveness. That is fantastic. Can I encourage you to do that? Talk to somebody else if you don't understand what I've said. Grab someone and say, what does he mean? Grab one of the worship group. Grab one of the leaders. Grab me, but not too hard. Happy to show you and talk to you.
Because if you don't know the A, B, C, D, then you won't get the E and the F. If you don't believe in the one, that Christ died for your sins, two, that Christ was buried, and three, that Christ was risen from the dead, you're missing out on something. Not just now, but for the coming age. But it's not a case just of wishful thinking, mystical thinking. Oh, he's risen in my heart and mind. It's more than that. We had time, and I'm not going to spend time now. Paul goes on to explain, it was read to us in that early part of chapter 15. The forensic evidence, there's eyewitnesses. First of all, he appeared to Peter who was one of the disciples. Then he appeared to the twelve. Now these were guys that were scared scared witness. They thought they were going to die. They were hiding. They did not believe that he was alive. They, they thought he was dead and buried and gone. And they thought they were the next to be killed until they met Jesus, a risen Jesus, and their lives were transformed. Then they came out of hiding and they declared that Jesus was alive and it transformed their lives. Then he said he appeared to 500 more. Bigger congregation you got here this morning. Then he appeared to James, his brother, and his family started to see a risen Jesus. Then last of all, says Paul, he appeared to me, and I'm the worst, I'm the most anti-Christian person there could be. I persecuted Christians, I put them in prison, I killed them because I did not believe it until I met Jesus, a risen Savior. Lives that were transformed. People who were prepared to die because they had met Jesus after his death. People have tried to disprove the resurrection. It's a classic book some of the older folk here may know of called Who Moved the Stone? Where a lawyer solicitor by the name of Frank Morrison did set out to disprove the resurrection. He did not want these Christians talking about a raised Christ. He looked into it and all the legal matters and all the technical stuff and all the details and he met Jesus and he got converted. Now some of you watch football or whatever sport may be at the end when they score a goal you see all sorts of celebrations lift the shirt up and run around the stage I won't do that it's too ugly a picture of you to think about but there's an opportunity for us to sing about it we're going to do that in a minute to shout about it because our saviour is here and he is risen from the dead I want you to sing I want you to dance if that's your thing I want you to to say hallelujah if it's appropriate don't be inappropriate I want you to talk about it at lunch. If you don't understand about it, talk about it. I want the Christians who have been Christians for many years to start talking about it in coffee over in that room. To remind yourself that Jesus is alive today. We sung about it. Some of you didn't look too happy about it. But we should be because it means so much more. And at the end, I want to remind you of some verses that were read to us that comes at the end of that particular passage from Corinthians But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in the moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. It's going to be a lovely sound. We've got a sax this morning. I haven't got a trumpet, but don't worry about it. When the the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Something to shout about. Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death. 
and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, well, the NIV says, and thanks be to God, He gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that you know this. Not, no one's with me already, uh, but I just, uh, hopefully, if I can get out there, but I just wanted to remind you it is something to shout about. Do you agree with me? Hallelujah. That's great. Over to you, Lee. 